0: If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Candid Catholic Convos. Today we're talking about a topic that you don't have to be Catholic to have heard of, and that's the Immaculate Conception. This term gets thrown around a lot, from religious to political to pop culture even, In an episode of the very first season of the TV show Glee, one character makes light of another character's refusal to admit that he's the father of her baby by declaring, well, call the Vatican, we got ourselves another Immaculate Conception. But here's a problem with all of those references. They're using the term Immaculate Conception wrong. There's a common misconception, pun intended, that the Immaculate Conception refers to the miracle of Mary conceiving Jesus, And to be completely honest, that's what I thought it meant for years. But after learning basic human biology, the math didn't add up. If December 8th was the date of conception and Christ was born on Christmas, then his gestation was only a few weeks? It didn't make any sense. But the Immaculate Conception actually refers to the conception of Mary. Mary was conceived of St. Anne and St. Joachim, her parents, without the stain of original sin. She was preserved from the stain of original sin by the grace of God and the merits of her son's future life, death, and resurrection. Well, consider me Sunday schooled. I had no idea, honestly. And apparently this confuses a lot of other people as it's one of the most misunderstood doctrines even among Catholics. I guess because they both have to do with conception. In one, Mary is conceived the traditional way without sin. And in the other... Jesus is conceived without Mary having traditional biological relations. What we're thinking of when we think of the conception of Jesus is actually the annunciation of our Lord on March 25th, when Mary humbly said yes and accepted God's offer from the angel Gabriel exactly nine months before Christmas. So now that we know the difference, let's dive into a little more of the history and the theology of the Immaculate Conception with Father Jonathan Sawicki, the pastor at St. Teresa's Church. Today, we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. And from a lot of my research, what I found is that this is one of the most misunderstood doctrines in the Catholic faith by Catholics and non Catholics alike. So, could you explain to me a little bit of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception and how it came to be? Because it doesn't seem to be mentioned a whole lot in Scripture.
1: Sure. First, remember what the Immaculate Conception is not it is not about the birth of Jesus, either. Jesus' conception in the womb of his mother Mary, which is what we call the Annunciation. March 25th is the feast day for that. And then nine months after March 25th is Christmas Day, December 25th. That's the virgin birth. The Immaculate Conception is not about Jesus directly. It's about the preparation of his mother. And the Immaculate Conception is the teaching of the church, uh, which was declared as a a formal definition in 1854— when Pope Blessed Pius IX declared, pronounced, and defined that the doctrine which holds that the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, was by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, to be preserved free from all stain of original sin. Now, that's a mouthful, and yes, I was reading verbatim, because I think it's important to remember what this is. Mary is saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the merits that he won for us by his death on the cross. How is this possible when Jesus in his incarnation comes years after Mary's own conception in the womb of her mother, Anna, and her father, Joachim? Two names that we have by sacred uh, tradition. It's not listed in the sacred scripture. We receive these names of Anna and Joachim from sacred tradition. Now, some people say, well, why are they saints if they're not listed in the Bible? Well, churches of both scripture and tradition. And it's in that, that long tradition of the church where we have these two names. So Anna and Joachim came together as any parents would. But what was miraculous about that conception is that Mary was preserved from the inherited sin of Adam. Mary was preserved from that original sin now what's original sin it's this first it's the sin of adam of disobedience against god and then we inherit it in our own conception and our birth we we suffer illnesses we these are the effects of original sin we we die these are all consequences of adam's disobedience against the father now mary is preserved from that why so that she then would be the we would say the church had said the pure vessel to give flesh to the word of God that we could receive Jesus Christ. So the Immaculate conception is a very abstract celebration because it's dealing with original sin, not something that we can see being washed away in our baptism. But we understand that at the same time the consequences of original sin, which are very concrete to us. We grow sick and we die. We live in a very broken world. We can be led. I always say, would say to my students all the time in the high school, one of the evidences of original sin is that you and I could be presented with an absolutely logical, sensible argument and still disagree with it, human pride. These are all consequences of that disobedience that Adam and Eve gave against the Father. And Mary was preserved from that. Why? So that the incarnation can take place. How is Mary saved by an action which would happen well into her adult life? God doesn't exist according to our time. This is the teaching of the church. God does not exist according to our timeline. He's eternal. He sees eternally. He knew what was going to happen. This is the perfection of God. He saw what was going to be happening with this incarnation. So Mary was the one who received the first fruits of the redemption of her son when she was conceived in the womb of her mother, that when Mary said in her Magnificat at the beginning of St. Luke's Gospel, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, she has a Savior, and her Savior is her son who had saved her even before she was walking this earth when she was just as, as science would call an embryo in the, in the womb of her mother.
0: That's incredible. Thank you for going into such detail because that makes it so much clearer.
1: One could hope. I mean, because this is a, this is really, I mean, it's it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful teaching. Now, this was declared in 1854 by Blessed uh, Pius IX, uh, the, the the Pope of Rome at the time, but yet the Church saw this as a continual teaching, and and, and an, an instance of this. 1854 is when this declaration was given. My former church in York, when I was when I served as pastor. Was founded by Saint John Newman in 1852, and it was named the Kirche der Unbefleckten Empfängnis Maria, the Church of the Unspotted or Immaculate Conception of Mary. So we all, we had title the title of the Immaculate Conception and this and liturgical feasts of the Immaculate Conception, at least evidence going back to the seven and eight hundreds in the Eastern Church when they were celebrating this Conception of Anne. And it was even rooted in um, the by the second century in this this apocryphal writing called the the Proto Evangelium or the First Gospel of Saint James. And it's it's not a scriptural writing, but it's an ancient Christian writing that you could, still gives a reflection or a little snapshot into the life of the early church when they were talking about this great conception of Anne. That there's something there was something special about what took place. Between Anna and Joachim, not just a baby girl, but this baby girl who was prepared for a reason, so that we could receive a Savior. So the historical evidences of what we're celebrating on December eighth, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, is is something really rooted in the, the constant tradition of the Church. So it isn't it didn't just drop out uh, out of the sky. It, the Pope had nothing better to do, um, and and they said, well let's let's declare. Let's declare a a doctrine. Well, no, it's the the pope declared a doctrine because we needed a rallying point. Now, there was something historical going on in the mid-19th century when the church declared this this dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And I would talk about this with our high school students. There was this tendency with the scientific method and with Darwin, Charles Darwin, and the evolution evolution of species— this, the Darwinian theory of evolution. The church is not against evolution per se, but certain evolutionary theories, which are we are tending toward the perfect. We are going to the point of perfection by evolution itself. When the Holy Father at the time with all the bishops who were gathered with him made this declaration that Mary was the only human person other than the Lord Jesus... Uh, who is human and divine, when Mary was the only one preserved from original sin, there's a statement there that we're not preserved from original sin, that we're not becoming perfect on our own human evolutionary talents. Only God can make us perfect. So if you consider this, this doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that Mary is that sole human person alone who was preserved from this this stain of original sin, this this inherited brokenness. We're also making the statement that we've inherited this brokenness.
0: That's, that's insane to think about and I completely didn't put the two together about Darwin and yeah. the church's teachings. So essentially the Pope was just putting this in writing that this is official like we've been talking about this and we've been practicing it for years. It's just now it's official. it's in writing everybody knows and it
1: was and it was done at that time to make that 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 doctrine that statement of faith as well as being a rallying point around Mary. We all like a common cause to rally around. And something that really became popular, remember, the Immaculate Conception, that that title of Mary um, is the patroness. Mary under that title is the patroness of the United States. Sometimes I think that it's providential because as Americans we think that we're we're perfect, or that everything that we do can never be questioned. You know, some of the mistaken notions of American exceptionalism. Well, mary as our t- as our patroness under that title it's actually a call to us towards humility and and, and humility is that necessary step of being perf- uh, of growing in perfection because we cannot become perfect by our own talents only god can help us with that
0: so we talked on this a little bit but what does it mean to be preserved from original sin like when i think about it i think of like falling in a lake and you get soaking wet but you have the opportunity to get dried off versus if you were about to fall in a lake and somebody catches you the difference between original sin versus being preserved from original sin how would you how would you elaborate on that
1: this is a perfect example that's a perfect analogy of two ways of being saved one is where you fall in the mud puddle and mom dad dries you off cleans you up and 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 makes you look good again the other one is keeping someone from falling in in the first place, and that's the, the the latter is what we are marking with Mary's Immaculate Conception, that she was preserved, she she did not receive this inheritance, whereas we inherit it, which is why we are all baptized. Okay, that's as the the simplest definition of baptism is the washing away of original sin, and as a result of that, we are able to be called children of God, inheritors of the kingdom of light. We have access to all the grace of the sacraments then that flow from that. Mary had this singular grace in the liturgy of the Immaculate Conception of the feast day. It talks about the prevenient grace, the grace that came before Mary, that she had that preservation, that she never inherited that which we inherit. And again, I think it's important to know what are the consequences of original sin, we have to go to Genesis, uh, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, because people will say, Magical Conception is not listed in the Bible. Well, it it's not, but it's in between the lines. In the third chapter of the book of Genesis, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, or the first proclamation of the good news. It's a fancy word that we learn in seminary, and I have to justify the cost of my seminary education that I can throw out a couple of Greek words every now and then. The Proto-Evangelium, the first proclamation of the gospel, of the good news, first was the curse, that the man would toil by the sweat of his brow and he would feel the pain from his labors. The woman would give birth in labor pains. Those are two instances of the brokenness of humanity. At the beginning, God didn't create man and woman with that burden. It came as a result of original sin. At the end of a day, our backs hurt because we were lifting boxes of hymnals, uh, doing a missile swap, or uh, we were uh, raking leaves, or uh, shoveling the snow, or mothers who have the burden of carrying a baby around in them for nine months in this new life and the joy of the new life. But yet, there's resultant pains that we have to we have to respect, which makes the beauty of that labor all all the more awesome, right? But yet right after God gives the curses to Adam and Eve, the the results of their disobedience, and he says to the serpent, and you, on your belly shall you crawl, and the woman, there will be enmity between, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. She will strike at your head and you will strike at her heel. Now, it's a lot better to strike at someone's head. That means that you have the upper hand. Now, what is this enmity the church thought about this when Jesus comes along and there's Jesus' mother is Mary. what is this what is enmity? It's perfect hatred. Well, I don't have perfect hatred with the devil. If I had perfect hatred of the devil, I'd never sin. Talk to any priest or my confession. they know that that's not the case. All of us sin, none of us are perfect. So who is this woman who has enmity? perfect hatred? Oh, and what who is her offspring who uh, would war against the offspring of the serpent? Jesus. So there we see the first proclamation of the good news that there would be a Messiah born of the woman. Now, you have Adam and Eve. They're the ones in their disobedience and their self-centeredness. They bring sin and destruction into the world. And as soon as Jesus wrought the redemption of the world, the church started looking in the Old Testament and seeing what we call parallels or seeing foreshadowings or types. And they And and as early as the second century, there was a bishop from Asia Minor who worked his way into Gaul, present-day France. Think about this. This is before we had airlines or trains or good boats, and Irenaeus of Lyon, the bishop of Lyon, a doctor of the church, Lyon, France, Irenaeus called Christ the new Adam, and as a result, as a logical consequence, Mary was the new Eve. Just as Eve received the first temptation and Adam followed through on it, Mary received the message of the angel. She said yes, which brought to us the Savior of the world, Christ, who was able to undo the curse of Adam. This is why we say on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Mary is the new Eve because Christ is the new Adam. This does not take anything away from Jesus Christ whatsoever. It highlights who Jesus is and that what happened in Genesis was undone in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the wood of the cross.
0: That's incredible. And that makes so much sense because I, in my research I was reading and I saw that they were referring to Eve as the mother of all the living, but Mary was the mother of all the redeemed. And that makes so much sense hearing you say it that way. So if Mary was sinless, does that mean she was perfect?
1: She was perfect, but not by her own talents, but by the grace of God. This is the most important thing to remember. What, and this is, you know, uh, when I was in Catholic grade school, St. Mary's in Coltmont, Holy Spirit in Mount Carmel, and would, the teacher gets you and you say, well, nobody's perfect. And then uh, they say, well, Jesus is. And then there's always that smart person who adds in there, and Mary. Mm. But Jesus was perfect because he is God. Right. He is true God and true man. Mary was perfected by the grace of Jesus Christ that she cooperated with her entire life. And I think that that's the important thing to remember. We can become perfect. That's what holiness is. Now, the moment that we gloat in our perfection, we realize we were not perfect, <laughs> okay? And and we, we lose that, that sanctifying grace of God, okay? Whereas Mary, she rejoiced in God, her Savior, she realized from the very first moments that, and she received the message of the angel at that annunciation, that she was that handmaid of the Lord. She was the one who was working alongside Christ, her, God, her Savior, that she rejoiced in her magnificat. So when we say that Mary was perfect, it was not perfect the same way that we can grow towards perfection. She was already perfected and and remained in that grace her entire life as the sinless one not because she she did this on her own talents but because of that that word again that prevenient grace that grace which came before her through her son her savior
0: that's beautiful i like that she was perfected that's really amazing
1: and i think it's important to remember anybody who people who sometimes think catholics put too much emphasis on mary I, they see that I think they miss the they're missing the mark that what we say about Mary is a reflection on Jesus that Jesus and God and His redemption that the Father the redemption that the the Most Blessed Trinity the life that the Trinity shares with us is that they're eternal they are able to operate outside of time this is why I think that in the Eastern Church we they refer to the Blessed Virgin Mary, as the symbol of orthodoxy, the symbol of true belief. What we say about Mary is directly reflective of what we believe about Jesus Christ. Why do we call Mary Mother of God? Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Amen. Well, because we're saying Mary's the Mother of God, that means that little babe born in in a manger, a feed trough, in a stable, a cave in Bethlehem. Was is God? That's that's a profound. St- not someone who was just a great teacher, not someone who became God in his full knowledge on the cross, and he emptied himself. That he he finally did what he was told, and he was given the reward of the kingdom. You know, Charlie in the chocolate factory. You pass the test, you inherit the factory. Well, no, <laughs> Jesus in his very first moments on this earth as science would say as an embryo who becomes a fetus who what we would the church people of faith would say a child in the mother's womb was god and man mary's the symbol of orthodoxy we, what we say about mary refers directly to what jesus to who jesus is
0: she's the moon she reflects the she sun she
1: reflects the sun The beautiful hymn and i forget who or it's a poem that we sometimes sing during advent and it's in uh the liturgy of the hours Mary the dawn, Christ the perfect day. That, okay, the sun's rising. I don't see the sun yet, but I know the dawn is here. We all want to see the sun. The dawn is pretty, but the sun is awesome. And that's Mary and Jesus. With the with the advent of Mary, we know that Jesus is here.
0: That's amazing. You'll never look at a sunrise the same way again.
1: Even better with a cup of coffee in the yes. morning.
0: <laughs> if Mary was conceived without sin... It means God did it once. Why didn't he do it with the rest of us?
1: I've heard that question once before, and it was by a high school student. Almost a gotcha moment. I think that then it would take away from us and our redemption. If if God God could have preserved us all from original sin, but then where's our life of merit? Where is our appreciation of what Jesus did for us on the cross? Where is our participation in our own cross And this will happen on the last day when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That's when the final remnants of original sin will be be wiped out forever. I think if if, if God, if the Father did this, knowing full well the redemption of Christ, it's not that God is a sadist who wants us to suffer. I think it's the loving Father who wants us to share his life and gives us the opportunity and i think that whenever we work along with something we appreciate it all the more
0: i love that and i and i really like the phrase brokenness um it reminds me of and i'm not doing it justice but there's an ancient japanese art of repairing broken dishes and plates with gold so that they're still beautiful and functional and i i feel like That's what I kept thinking of every time you would say brokenness, is that God's grace is the gold that fills in the gaps.
1: That is beautiful, yes. Yes. And it's okay. I sometimes have to remind people in the box, in confession, it's okay to have made a mistake. What's not okay is that we gloat in it, or remain in it, or don't learn from it. Because what's the best saint as possible but the sinner who converts?
0: So how can we aspire to live like Mary?
1: Two famous expressions are attributed to the Blessed Mother. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then at the, and that was at the Annunciation, at the wedding at Cana, she said, do whatever he tells you, directed at her son Jesus Christ to the, to the waiters at the wedding feast. And then at the foot of the cross, she was silent. But she stood. Yet she was silent. As a priest, I've experienced times where we've had to um, break bad news to a mother for for a child who has died for any number of sad reasons. And if you consider Mary having strength to stand at the foot of a crucifixion, that that demands an incredible amount of faith, of sobriety, of strength. I'd imagine most mothers are doubled over in anguish, but Mary had the, she didn't say anything at this most tragic moment in her life and in her son's life. I think that those are the three virtues of Mary that the Christian should emulate. Let it be done to me according to your word. Do whatever he tells you, and let Christ do his work. Silently witness this. Stand by and witness the work that he's doing. But yet Mary was there. But what did also, what did Mary do? She, she received that, those words from her son. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Those Those last words of Jesus on the cross. And Mary, at that moment, was taken into John's home. She became part of another person's family. And I think that that's an invitation for us to make her part of our family, to do whatever he tells, do whatever he tells us, and uh, to let it be done to me according to his word. Sometimes his word and our word don't go hand in hand. But here's the special note. We're always mentally and spiritually, physically happier when we do his word and not our own.
0: That's very, very true. You've answered all my questions beautifully, so thank you so much for those explanations. It answered a lot of questions for me, even as a cradle Catholic, so thank you for your time.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Rachel. God bless you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey, so if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.